Well, John, I'm not sure you ever graduated from high school, but what do you think life was like for this year's high school seniors? Well, David, the pandemic took a terrible toll, but I actually think that many kids are emerging with a newfound resilience. Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. Well, John, teen dreams. You know, how did teens react to the pandemic when it started? We've been so focused on the older folks. What was it like for the teens? I I think it was brutal. Look, this has been a really hard year for everyone, particularly in that first phase. Life interrupted. And I can't imagine, you know, when I was a, when perhaps when you were a teenager, you wanted to spend all your time with your parents. But at least for most of us, we actually wanted to spend as little time at home as possible. But I I, I don't think it was I don't think it was necessarily all bad for kids. Well, John, I think when it started off, it was pretty scary. Everybody was scared. All of a sudden, also, you're not in school, so you've got a lot of time to, you know, to be worried, especially if your parents or your grandparents still have to go out and work and you see it was older people that were getting sick and, and dying. So I think people are really, really worried about their parents and grandparents. It's a little bit of a role reversal. The parents are supposed to protect the kids, but I think it was extremely scary for that. And I do think there's been evolution certainly over the, you know, over the next year or so. Obviously we hear a lot about anxiety and mental health. That's real from social isolation. People worried about, you know, certainly especially for people where food insecurity is an issue, where parents might not be healthy. And then I mean, we talk about social media and some of the challenges there. It definitely warps the the sense of your normal social interactions when you're not seeing people at all. So, those, I mean, those are some of the challenges. Yeah, probably it, 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 you know extended and enlarged the 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 really nasty non me tooism of social media, which is to say, everybody kind of wants to be aspirational, and there's this there's this envy driven marketing that drives social media that that honestly is affecting a lot of people and leaving parents as well as kids, but even more so kids as they're developing their own sense of self-worth with a sense of emptiness or missing something. And I got to think that early stage of living social on media versus in person uh, has got to have affected it. But I think it's more enlarged an underlying social problem uh, but certainly kids seem to have come through it, certainly the teenagers, pretty well. Yeah. I mean, I think first of all, you know, youth tend to be resilient, but also not just some silver linings, but it's actually even kind of a mixed bag. For sure, all the negative things that you're talking about were real, but there were a couple of other things that were happening. You know, had there been a movement to start high school later because kids, their natural uh, your body clock tells them to go to bed late and wake up late. And even though anxiety and depression is certainly caused by the pandemic, I saw a survey that was showing, you know, mid-year that it really wasn't that much of an increase, if even an increase, because the kids are getting more sleep, uh, which they needed. They're also getting closer to family. And if you've got a, a functional uh, relationships in your household, that can actually be strengthening. And then some of the federal uh, programs that were passed on a bipartisan basis actually did provide a pretty good short-term safety net. Well, and I think that whole connection with family, one of the things that we don't do in the United States, but other countries do, is they've got a family policy. France has an entire office in it. And if you think about the kinds of things that we rolled out in a coherent way as a society, 
whether it was food support, extended health care support, making sure if you were really sick, all the bills were paid, and the fact that families were actually eating together and spending more time together, and that we were in a funny way getting to know one another through just through proximity of being forced. Some of that was extremely hard for folks who didn't have the resources or the or the space to handle it. But I've got to think it's a positive for a lot. And I do think that as a country, again, in this crazy partisan time, it's nice to remember that just six months ago, we were coming together to solve a common problem that actually propped up and supported and helped build a bridge for those families to stay together and not, frankly, go crazy while they were trying to beat COVID. You know, John, I, you said before about, you know, wanting to spend time with your parents as a teen. And when I was 16, I was ready to get the hell out of the house. That was for sure. Um, but the teens today are a little bit different. And actually, there's more of an extended uh, childhood. And I think this has given them an opportunity to, to actually spend time with parents. And of course, it depends on the situation, but they they often like it. Academic performance, though, is another another matter. John, the strong students figure out how to how to manage on their own. They learn in new ways. They adapt. But your weaker students, you know, I was speaking with a high school teacher who was, was dealing with some students that were, were in the lower classes and had some challenges. And, you know, the attendance just went to hell. And uh, it just if they weren't showing up that much in school, they sure weren't showing up online. And that's, that's the, the, certainly the uh, educational gaps have widened. Well, it's, it's really hard with younger kids, David, to keep people. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what your educational level is or what your resources are. Kids are not programmed to sit in front of a screen and pay attention to hard lessons for four or five hours a day. That just wasn't going to, that, that wasn't going to fly. And so I think that that's, that was a problem. But I do think that this whole family approach to mental health, healthcare, food, and support is something I hope we don't lose. And there's no question that there are scars, whether it's kids falling behind who are already challenged, whether it's younger kids who frankly basically lost six to 12 months. The state of Connecticut's actually investing in learning camps and they're trying to come up with fun activities. So it isn't just going to kind of reading, writing, and arithmetic, they're going to drills because they need to come up with in the same way that we all kind of get used to a hybrid life. I do think that schools are now, and, and then, and then, and then schools and educational institutions that are committed to kids are going to have to come up with more creative ways to engage. And probably the biggest challenge have been kids with special needs, where the entire system failed them. There was no, there is, there is no kid with behavioral or cognitive difficulties who's got, who's ready for you know Zoom Academy. That's just that that we 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 that's the one place where I think our our, our the social the, the educational safety net failed. Well, John, I'm trying to keep a little bit of a positive edge here to this discussion. Uh, you know, one thing that we we have spoken about a lot is the divide within this country between people who are sort of, you know, believe in the pandemic versus those that don't, masks versus not, and so on. And on the one hand, you've seen things where people are worried about, you know, teens or young adults kind of flaunting, flaunting restrictions and just going out and, you know, causing infections. But on the other hand, I actually put it through, I, I put this out there without any evidence that uh, actually we're less divided at the teen level than we are at the, uh, at the grown-up level. And in particular, if you think about the vaccine and attitudes toward it, hesitancy, people you know, who, are, who are concerned about it. At the teen level, a lot of people are more pragmatic. It's like, get me the vaccine. I want to get back to be able to be with my friends, be in school. Um, and that uh, they're more focused on the practical side and actually probably more unified and less, less hesitant than, uh, than yeah. parents. 
you're obsessed with the, the teen years, and I, I, I'm sure you had a difficult time as a teenager, so that's probably why you're so focused on that. No kidding, John. <laughs> Yeah, how about like eighth grade in particular, you know, it's like, oh, it was like a nightmare. I remember my mother told me about oh, junior high school is going to be terrible. It, it, it was. Yeah, your micro traumas. Um, I, I, think, I think one of the things that's sort of interesting when you look back at the lessons is there was a great desire in a lot of parts of the country. Well, we're not going to send kids to school because schools will be super spreaders. There is no evidence that keeping schools open was a spreading event. And part of it, a big part of it, is kids were incredibly compliant to hand washing, to mask wearing, to social distancing. They were, and honestly, the kids were much better than the adults at every level, literally from elementary school through high school. And, um, but I will say there's some incredibly entertaining videos, for example, from Israel when they the vaccine finally hit and, it, and, and, the, and the infections are down and the kids are literally tearing off the masks and dancing in the aisles. Tear, tearing off the masks and tearing them up too. I saw that. It was pretty good, uh, uh, pretty good activity there. I don't know what that was. But, but, but again, I think we tend to sort of underestimate the power and the willingness of kids to actually conform. And, and I think, the, the, again, one of the interesting lessons here is states like, like Connecticut, which kept the schools open, uh, you know, and it's a local decision. It's not a state decision. In almost every community – they were much more successful and much more effective and did not have big community spread. Whereas in New York, New York City, where they shut it down or there it was erratic, you actually had more spread. And it was because the adults were spreading and, and the kids were not in a situation where they, they had a system of conformity. We, we, I think the, the interesting thing is it, we look back on it, we should have bet on the kids. Yeah. So, John, let's look forward a little bit now and talk about, you know, what does it mean for people who have been through this? You know, there have been other generations that have had different traumas. We have so-called uh, greatest generation, you know, people that went through the World War, World War II together. Um, you know, this isn't going to be the greatest generation. You were struggling. You were struggling. With well, I don't try to think World War, you know. Did they call World War One? Did they call it World War One at the time? I can't remember, but they called it the Great War, <laughs> and it also had a great generation. It's just that generation went through a very difficult time with the Great Depression, and the Greatest Generation is really refers to that generation that 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 was young and middle aged, and meaning age seventeen to sort of forty, that served in the Second World War and in Korea, which followed actually much 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 more quickly than people probably recollect. That then it ended up really balancing the the notion that we not only uh, cared for ourselves as individuals and families, but also for the country. I actually think that could be one of the themes from you know amidst all this partisan nonsense. We've definitely got a, a, a fascist mini fascist movement in this country that's not that different from the populist movements. It gets a lot of attention, but I actually think there was a lot of good citizenship throughout this process in its own herky-jerky way. And I do think that that, as it, no one's going to write a headline about that, by the way, there was kids conforming, people getting vaccinated, the country getting behind creating the vaccine and then getting vaccinated, not perfectly, but there's a lot of good news out there, David, that I think if we can build on, we can, we can actually not just build back better with bridges, but also, also socially. I think that could be one of the one of the surprise results. Not perfect, but better. Well, John, one of the things that you'll see happen now is you know the, the unemployment's very low. Um, it's easy to get a job, so at least somebody can go out of high school or college. They're likely to be able to you know to get a job. 
now. And also, I think they've got greater context and uh, an understanding uh, how to face up to some of the other challenges we're going to have. I mean, as we know, this pandemic may not be the last one. So they have some practice in that. Uh, we've got challenges, uh, you know, racial discord, climate change, gun violence. These are all big issues that I think there's been a bit of hopelessness about whether the country can actually rally and confront them. And I think without having to have necessarily political conformity, maybe we can have some consensus and confidence to be able to take on uh, some of these challenges head on. And maybe the younger generation is going to be the ones that help to lead us there. Because God knows that the, uh, some of the other generations haven't done the best job of it. Well, I think there's a, such a tendency to focus on the bad news. And gosh, we hit 600,000 deaths the other day. And that there's, there's plenty of bad news. But there is a, an element of reconnection that I think if we can build on the resilience, and yeah, we got big challenges, but, but we've always had big challenges. Um, and as a country, perhaps better than some and better at certain times than others, we've taken them on. And I think this generation really has been through you know, a, 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 quite a significant challenge. And we appear to be coming out of it as, as, as strong or stronger than any other in the industrialized world. And we should build on that. So John, here's the last question for you. It's a tough one, okay? Can, do you think we can get the, today's teens to fix their broken healthcare system? No. <laughs> yeah, I may punt that off until another episode. What do you say? Good idea. <laughs> okay. Well, then that's it for yet another edition of Care Talk. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of Care Sandrix. If you liked what you heard or didn't, please subscribe. Tell us what you think.